Welcome to the 12th Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 180 years old and is the literary center of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts authors and speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We are a working library with more than 75,000 books available to members. We're located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati and online at mercantilelibrary.com. And we always welcome new members and guests. Joining us today in the reading room on the 12th story of the Mercantile Building are Joe Hyde, Director and Associate General Counsel, Global Litigation at Procter & Gamble. Hi, Abby. Nice to be here. Tim Plunkett, VP, Senior Executive Recruiting for Macy's and Mercantile Library Board Member. Hi, Abby. And Paul DeMarco, Local Attorney and Current Mercantile Library Board President. Hello, Abby. And I'm Abby Moran, Mercantile Library Board Member and Community Volunteer. Today we'll discuss The Road to Character by David Brooks. A warning, there will be spoilers discussed today, so proceed at your own discretion. David Brooks recently delivered the Mercantile Library's signature Niehoff Lecture on October 24th, and uh, all of us were in attendance. So um, we're also going to discuss that event that evening, and then we'll be discussing the book, and maybe a few of us columns and other ideas as well. So first, gentlemen, thanks for being here today with us. Um, what did you think about the Niehoff Lecture this year? I thought it was a successful event, you know, it, it, as um, the essentially the chair of the board and and a member of the events committee, we're always looking for um, the kind of speaker that folks describe afterwards as someone they could have listened to all night. And I think we've had a great run of, of a few of those in a row. Robert Caro, Ann Patchett mm -hmm. was that way for me, and, and I think David Brooks was. So that kind of is my definition of a good Niehoff lecturer. It was also the largest Niehoff lecture we've ever had uh, with uh, 600 people in attendance, and we probably could have uh, had more than that, but we did not want it uh, to lose the intimacy of the room. So it was, uh, as events chair for the for the <laughs> committee, I was delighted to see the uh, uh, the reservations coming in, and for us to um, to to be able to fill the uh, uh, the ballroom there at the Westin. I thought the room felt great. I wondered how, how it would feel since it was a little bit bigger event. Not a little bit bigger, it was bigger by a third, oh, right? Absolutely. Than last year's Niehoff lecture. I absolutely. wondered if it would feel overstuffed, but I thought it felt great. Yeah. I, I could have stayed there all night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it I think it's become that event has become one of the social events in the fall in, on in the Cincinnati um, uh, society and, and people really kind of look forward to it. I think they enjoy getting dressed up. It's a black tie event. And, uh, and the room looked beautiful with, uh, with the votive candles on all the tables and what have you. It really, um, Mary Gruber really did a terrific job in setting the whole thing up. So it was, a, it was a wonderful, wonderful evening. And if you've not been to a Niehoff lecture, you should put that on your calendar for next year. I, um, I think it's fair to, to call it one of my favorite evenings uh, of the year. And um, Tim, do you think it's fair to call it Nerd Prom? Um, or no, I, is that I, a little I, bit no, too pejorative? Yeah, I, 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 I thought. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it clearly 
uh, caters to people who enjoy reading. There, there's no question about that. Right. Um, as you know, as Albert Pyle used to say, what we're looking for is somebody who is well known and who has a body of work. Mm -hmm. And and we've uh, to to, uh, to Paul's point earlier with Robert Caro, with uh, with uh, Ann Patchett, and and uh, this year with David Brooks. I think we I think we really kind of uh, nailed it in in terms of the folks that had a wide appeal mm -hmm. to uh, to a, to an audience that enjoys reading. Yeah, well, I'll say this. This is the first one of these I've attended, and I'm a relatively new um, member of the Mercantile, so I hadn't been to a Niehoff lecture before, so don't have anything to compare it to, but I thought it was wonderful. Um, I was saying to my wife, this is the, where the Cincinnati intelligentsia gathers mm -hmm. to to enrich their lives. So I don't, I don't know if that means nerd prom or what that <laughs> might mean, but I've seen David Brooks. You know, I came because of him, really, uh, and also now that I'm a member of the Mercantile, I want to go to events like this. But having watched him on TV and listened to him on NPR, to see him in that setting um, and to hear him speak was, was wonderful. It was a great event. Yeah, I just just to clarify, I meant that totally fondly. I love prom <laughs> and I love nerds. Um, I think that e that evening just contains so many of my favorite things. You know, all these all these people who are interested in books and ideas, and also interested in going out and being out in the community. And mm -hmm. I love dressing up, and I love that feeling of energy in the room. Um, we've attended several uh, the last several years, and and every time I enjoy it. But I think that this this is one of my favorites, and. Um, I, um, I've been diagnosed by my family as an aggressive greeter. And so, of course, I met a new um, friend in the ladies' room after the event and struck up a conversation with a, with a lady there that I'd never met before. And she said this was her first mercantile event, and she was expecting, just knowing a little bit about David Brooks, that he would talk about politics the entire time. And she said that she was pleasantly surpri surprised. She wasn't really, she said she wasn't really looking forward to it, wasn't really looking forward to thinking about politics all evening. She was really surprised that he didn't really mention politics at, you know, once in the whole evening. And then the other thing that she said uh, that I thought was interesting was that when he, when David Brooks talked about Augustine and the hush that Augustine experienced, that the whole room, all those 600 people were also just hushed. And um, she just felt like he really had the audience in the in the palm of its hand. Mm -hmm. it, it is our uh, uh, signature event, and it is a money raiser for the library. And I had friends come over from St. Louis. Uh, my friends will come great distances for a free dinner. <laughs> and uh, uh, th their their comment was, it was a fundraiser without anybody you know, hitting you up mm -hmm. for money. You know, nobody was coming up to the microphone saying the silent auction is going to close in five minutes or, you know, who else uh, will donate 250 Okay, right. have it $100, you know, that type of thing. It was a, it, it is such a classy event that I, that I, you know, that I think people just, um, it, it's unlike any other fundraiser that I've been to, all of which are exactly the same in terms of right. uh, uh, <laughs> such a know, predictable format. Yeah, I exactly. You know, I, there 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 are no other uh, uh, jerseys that I need signed, okay, right. by, the, <laughs> by the local quarterback <laughs> or the pitcher uh, to to augment my, my uh, yeah my basement, have, right? Exactly. So it it is really a wonderful, wonderful event, and I think this was because of the size of the group, was really very special. Mm -hmm. well, we've had a couple of Niehoffs, and this, this one fits into the pattern where the, the speaker uh, 
had such a way with words uh, and I think that's part of why you experience that hush which I think we experienced with Robert Caro and with Ann Patchett you just come away from an uh, an experience like that like you've just seen an exhibition of the beauty of the of the written and spoken word and um, you don't get that at a lot of uh, speeches and dinners that you, that you go to throughout the year. Um, you didn't hear a lot of coughing and clearing of throats and things like that. I think consciously people are sitting on the edge of their seats uh, in these lectures, and that's that's a tribute to uh, you know the events committee and finding um, great speakers year after year. How many years has it been since um, the Niehoffs initiated this event? I think this is like the 28th. I think this was the 28th. Uh, 17 will be our 30th anniversary. I just really appreciate their oh. generosity and just the vision over the years that has put, that has made the event, just like you said, Tim, just something really, really different from your average fair. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to just give us all in this, you know, medium-sized city um, access to, to great minds mm -hmm. like a David Brooks. I just, uh, I think I'll, I'll remember that talk for a long, long time. So mm -hmm. made a, it made a big impression on me. Um, and, you know, what an interesting time in our, um, you know, just in the life of our society to see him, too. I think he is just at the crossroads of so much, um, so much interesting thought. Uh, one thing that I liked that he did was that um, he had library-specific comments at the beginning. And obviously he has a talk about his, about his book, The Road to Character, that he has delivered to, to you know, many groups, but I thought that he really did it, um, he made a major effort to um, customize his remarks to our, to our group. I thought he did that really seamlessly, which you know, isn't, always, isn't always the case when you hear people on the road. And he did a marvelous job before the dinner working the crowd. I mean, he was just gracious. He was out introducing himself to people. He was patient and and uh, and uh, very generous with his time as he talked to people. It was really, um, uh, it it was really kind of enjoyable to see him work the crowd, if you will. Did you mm -hmm. get to talk with him, Tim? Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I did, and uh, and was also fortunate enough to get my picture taken. Uh, we had the group from St. Louis. Uh, if they're going to drive this far, wants a free dinner and the picture with the speaker. Mm -hmm. So we were able to do that before uh, before the, the dinner. So did he really sign fun. your jersey? He did not. <laughs> I, 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 I did. I did. Do did you? Ha I was did. there anything notable about your conversation with him other than um, well, his I had, overall I, I uh, when I spoke with him, I said, you know, the I, I know you're here to talk about the road to character, but I said the book that I enjoyed so much was Bobo's in Paradise which was one of his first books, talking about growing up in Philadelphia uh, on the main line. And, uh, and he said it was just a very easy book to write. It just kind of came out in about 11 weeks. Um, and uh, and it, it got great reviews and, and what have you. So it was, kind of, it was kind of fun to be able to uh, go back and talk about one of his early works. You know? And I think he was kind of surprised that, you know, that somebody would have brought that up. Um, um, you know, because the audience was filled with his people, mm -hmm. you know, people who listen to him on NPR, you know, watch him on the news hour. And I, I love the idea that uh, that uh, the one joke where he thought uh, that his uh, segment on the news hour with Mark Shields should be changed 
so that it's Brooks Shields, <laughs> which I thought <laughs> caught uh, caught everybody uh, with a uh, uh, with a with a. Um, a good laugh at the, at at the uh, at the dinner as well. He was he he his speech I thought was kind of classic. Um, how to deliver a post dinner speech mm -hmm. of getting the audience mm -hmm. on your side mm -hmm. by self-effacing humor. You know, mm -hmm. I'm teaching now at Yale because I want to see a cross section mm -hmm. of uh, <laughs> of Americana yes. and uh, you know being the uh, conservative writer at the New York Times is akin to being, you know, the rabbi in Mecca, you know, that, that mm -hmm. type of thing that, mm -hmm. and everybody was laughing and really kind of, kind of enjoyed it. And then he got into the book, you know, mm -hmm. so he kind of got you, he sucked you in, if you will, and, and then I think had everybody's attention. And to mm -hmm. your point, a as did Caro, when Caro talked about that one shot right. of, of, LBJ taking the uh, the oath of office in Air right. Force One after the assassination, right. and uh, and uh, Caro said I I had spoken to every single person in that picture except one person, and then and there was a pause and he said the photographer, and everybody went oh my gosh you know right. and and he found the guy in Florida and what have you right. it's that type of a thing mm -hmm. you can't replicate. Uh, unless you're there at the dinner, I mean, you, you, it is just a just a wonderful experience. And I thought I thought Brooks did the same type of thing in terms of setting everybody mm -hmm. up, and then off he went on his book and didn't go through the entire book, which I thought was really worthwhile. Well, too. and he really um, he offered a lot for people who have read the book and people who haven't right. read any read a single page, mm -hmm. which yep. I always appreciate. That's mm -hmm. a tr that's a tricky. A tricky thing to do, though. Mm -hmm. And, you know, speak, transitioning to the book, I wonder if he would have said the same thing he told you about his earlier book, about this book. Because having read it, I bet this one wasn't as easy for him to write. It didn't no. just flow. And I'm not sure it's finished. We talked about this mm -hmm. in our book discussion, Abby, that you led. Is To a certain extent, I think this book and this journey he's on, it is a road, and mm -hmm. it's not finished. And so I, this one, I bet, took longer and has been harder for him to to work his way through. And even some of his interviews he's given about this book indicate there was a one where he said it's a fresh green shoot and I don't want to oh, step on it yes. too much by I talking about quote. it too much that still needs time to grow, that mm -hmm. he's still working his way through the issues I think he goes through in this book and that he shared in the lecture. And that comment came out of a discussion about his religious faith, didn't right. it? That he's really, he's making some sort of religious transition, mm -hmm. but he doesn't, that it's a fresh green shoot and he doesn't, he doesn't want to trample it by, by talking about it too mm -hmm. much. But I just thought was such an interesting metaphor and, you know, and a, a charming way to protect his own privacy too. Because I think that, you know, w it, with the sort of writer and public figure that he is, there's there's a lot of interest in his mm -hmm. in his personal life, and I think he has to. It seems like he has to kind of draw some boundaries around which questions people are allowed to ask. Paul, it's did you meet him before the event? Yeah, we did. We talked. We talked a little bit. We talked about um, you know everybody whose names are are lined uh, around this room, and and we talked specifically about Melville and uh, uh, Albert Pyle's old story about Melville as he came and and the membership to tears with the talk about Roman ruins when they really wanted to hear about whales, and he adverted to that in his talk as well. Um, the only other conversation I had was the offer to get him a drink. He prefers to get his own, and uh, at the end of the uh, evening when we were about to go over to the uh, to the uh, ballroom, uh, he diverted to the grapes and said, I, I can't pass up grapes. 
So those were the only insights I got. <laughs> from um, but, you know, one of the things that, that, that occurred to me from, uh, from what we were talking about uh, earlier is, and, and this, is a, this is a good technique that I, I think effective communicators have, uh, and Robert Caro did the same thing. He, he had the people in the room listening to the kind of talk he wanted to give. And I know that, that uh, your friend mentioned uh, politics. Um, and I think one of the reasons that he chose not to do a Q&A afterward uh, was the first person would have stood up and essentially killed the mood with, you know, what do you think of Donald Trump or something right. like that. We had just heard, um, you know, a classic lecture that could have been delivered any time over the 180 years of the of the library, um, and he I think didn't want mm -hmm. to um, dive into popular culture or current events uh, after that. And I appreciate and, and applaud that. I was going to ask him that. Mm. No, <laughs> I, was, I think he, he his talk was the day after or two days after Hillary's testimony and the. Mm -hmm. And uh, before the committee, so somebody I probably would have asked him about that. I think you're right because he is such a public pundit speaking about current events, and I always find what he says about these events to be genuinely interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think some of us would have wanted to hear what he had to say just because he has such right. interesting things to say. But mm -hmm. uh, the, yeah. the other thing, my observation was he's really smart. Yeah, I mean, he is like double eight hundred SATs smart, and and there were a couple of times where he. In his speech, I was like, "Okay, slow down for a second. Let me, you know, let, let me let me digest that for one second before you move on." Mm -hmm. And the other was his delivery. He spoke in paragraphs. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it was just this thing, just uh, it, it, you know, without a teleprompter. I mean, he certainly had notes. There was no question about it. But he just his delivery was just um, uh, masterful and uh, and really made. Uh, I think, to in, in large measure, because of that, and what he was saying, just held the the uh, everybody captive for uh, for the 40 minutes or so that he spoke uh, in the room. Mm -hmm. And and in a speech like that, you know, it's it's hard to leave everyone with something to think about afterward. And I, I think we had we had talked earlier about you know, is there was there a moment when he was talking about the power of uh, reading. Uh, and he, he used the example of um, the woman watching the dance and Anna, Anna Karenina. Yeah, that was just um, And how you can't convey that the, the sinking of her heart um, through um, anything visual. You can't see it online. Um, you could only get there by opening a book. Uh, I thought that was a very powerful um, moment and, and a great use of, of words and images by a speaker. I thought, um, you know, well, first of all, reading the, reading the book, I just, I like him so much. And, um, and he, he, does, he is so smart and I want to read everything that he's read. I want to go back to um, St. John's in Annapolis and read the great books curriculum. You know, <laughs> I want to, like, I just feel like he makes me want to be a better reader. But um, I thought going into that lecture, there was nothing that could have made me like him even more. And when he referenced that scene in Anna Karenina, which is one of my favorite books of all time, I thought, oh, man, I just, I would sit here and listen to you for another three hours. Um, mm -hmm. But we, uh, we unfortunately had to end that, that lecture evening. But um, I, I, 
um, have always been interested in his columns and his commentary, but now definitely after this experience, I'm, I'm even more even more interested. Um, speaking of effective communication, Paul, we were um, my whole table was just raving about your introduction of David Brooks um, at the Niehoff lecture and. Um, and Tim, I know you, you're an admirer as well. So we we're all just curious about um, your process of putting together that introduction, how you prepared and... Mm -hmm. and um, well, you know, with all my introductions, they, they usually take about um, between five and 10 hours to work on. Um, and I've, I've introduced uh, Robert Caro, Ann Patchett, and David Brooks, uh, along with Michelle Alexander um, earlier this year. The Niehoff, I think, is such a special event that I usually begin by hearkening back to the prior year's event um, and somehow tying last year's lecture to this year's lecture. And the the opportunity I thought that presented itself was if you heard Ann Patchett, she she gave her must-read list, and he gives his must-read must list at the end of the year, which is a great, great column um, that's a gift for, for his readers. And, you know, I... I'm conscious of the fact I'm introducing uh, someone that many of the people in the audience have never read. Some people in the audience have read every word he's ever written. Uh, and some people, you know, they go to his column first um, in the New York Times. So there are all sorts of people that you're, you're speaking to. And I think uh, I like to tell the people, even the people who've um, been reading the lecturer, um, you know, some things they don't know, the kinds of things that you can only get by researching a while. And it does take me a while to, to you know, kind of sort through the, the, um, the lives of these people for things that would be interesting. Um, you know, I was interested that uh, he was an Anglophile. That doesn't come off as uh, too shocking, uh, but also that he was a, a uh, bartender and a crime reporter. And I always used to use sort of play on words which is why uh, you know his his transition from a bartender to a uh, crime reporter just brought to mind the words blottoed and blotter um, <laughs> and uh, his own description of his parents you know training him to think Yiddish and act British those sorts of things um, you know always kind of come into it I thought he was he was uh, there was enough about him that you could find uh, that would be interesting. And it's, it's always kind of a delicate problem when you're introducing somebody, you know, because you're about to turn the podium over to them, but you're also about to, like, encounter them, shake hands with them. Uh, so you want them to feel as though you've, you've um, sort of uh, shown a light on their, their life, um, but also... Um, you want them not to have been embarrassed by anything that mm -hmm. you said. And, and I know that from looking at him debating, for example, Milton Friedman, uh, he was, I think, over the years has become kind of embarrassed uh, by his performance, but he's self-deprecating about it. And so I, I tried to, to take a little edge off by saying, you know, well, which one of us hasn't debated a uh, Nobel prize winner um <laughs> just another day at college yeah that's right as a college senior um and you know so I, those are the, the sort of things that, that i try to do in the introductions and then part of it is just sort of like a standard book review you know in, in terms of the the things that we're going to be talking about uh on his book to try to get people actually to 
pick up the latest work of the author. So those are the things that I that I uh, usually hit, and I appreciate your compliments, and I'll try to keep it up. The uh, my wife before you approached uh, the podium, and and John was finishing his remarks, said to the table, "What do you hear this introduction?" So uh, whatever you're paying, Anne. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's uh, yeah. She's she's earning her money. She has high yeah. expectations. She she <laughs> Anne was like, come on, this is going to be fabulous. <laughs> you know, it was like Brooks was the after. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was the backdrop. You know, it was uh-huh. it was good. it was going to be Paul's introduction yeah. of Brooks that that really was, and you really did a marvelous job. You you really did. I just thought. Uh, w- all of those things that you intended to do in your in your comments there, you you nailed. I think it was really a wonderful. Well, thank uh, you. And and I do believe that uh, that uh, he has seldom heard an introduction as eloquent uh, and um, as complimentary as yours uh, was. So it uh, um, it was it was really well done. Thank you. Yeah, well, coming in without any expectations like that, I I felt the same, and I thought one of the testaments to that was how he picked right up on mm-hmm. what you were saying not simply said well thank you very much I don't deserve that you know I mean the way mm-hmm. a lot but actually rolled right with mm-hmm. it and gave another joke about the University of Chicago not only being the place that fun goes to die but also the where level of da- uh, of hell that the Dante level of hell but he also that, yeah. said it's I, I don't remember it exactly but he used all these different religions and said it's where Protestants go and they're taught by whatever <laughs> right it right. was very funny I can't remember what it was yeah. but, yeah. but he right. rolled right with That's it right. so um, right. it was a great uh, you gave him a great springboard from which to launch into what he wanted to talk about so very well done yeah. one Thank of the you. first mercantile events I ever attended several years ago um, was here at the library and um, Deborah Janocchio gave the gave an introduction that was so warm and smart and funny and it just I was shocked first of all that it was so you know just at the quality of the introduction and I just think that that um, really sets a tone here for the events and um, Paul your introductions are a huge part of that I think it really puts people at ease but it also lets them know hey this is a group of really smart people who are intellectually curious and and funny and um, I, I just love that balance really really enjoyed it so Thank you. Um, well, I think we, uh, maybe we'll transition to talking about the book a little bit. And um, um, as Tim mentioned, uh, David Brooks has written several previous books, um, including The Social Animal and Bobos in Paradise. But um, th- his newest book is The Road to Character. And in that book, he focuses on the deeper values that should inform our lives, he says. Um, responding to what he calls the culture of the big me, which emphasizes external success, Brooks challenges us and himself to rebalance the scales between our resume virtues and our eulogy virtues. And he does that through focusing on the lives of, um, of 10 significant uh, figures from, from history. And he gets into their biographies, and he also shares a little bit about his own journey, trying to, trying to figure out how to be a more moral and, and balanced person, and then he ends the book with um, a humility code, um, which is a series of propositions designed to help us all be better people. So I'm just curious, um, gentlemen, what you you know what you thought of the book. Um, you know, if there was a, a part that was really compelling for you, a favorite part. Um. Well, I, I could start. I, I yeah. had read an excerpt of it in the New York Times on the uh, in the spring. Uh, I think it was when it was released, but then didn't read it until 
in advance of this lecture. And I got to say, the excerpt didn't really give it justice because it, it picked up on the overall thesis, but it, it kind of set it up as a crusty old man book, you know, old stuff good, new stuff bad, you know, uh, analog good, digital bad, uh, you know, technology is killing our souls and our social order. I mean, that's an oversimplification, but I kind of came into the book expecting it was going to be about how the old days were so much better, mm -hmm. and he starts with the uh, discussion of the World War II vets that he saw on, on television, but he goes so much deeper and so much farther than that. So uh, I was pleasantly surprised by the book. Um, I'm not sure every example and every biography he gave us worked to be such a good example of what he was trying to point out, but they were fascinating mini biographies to read all through the book. Um, and then his humility code, personally as a Catholic, all the discussion of grace and sin was right up my alley. <laughs> right up my alley. Um, and I enjoyed it like crazy. And, and I'll just throw one other thing in there. One of my favorite little juxtapositions he did, which wasn't a full-blown biography, is he set up in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl three, I think it mm. was, the Broadway Joe Namath versus Johnny Unitas. And right. kind of setting that up as this old school versus new flashy school as another example of, of the world as it was and the world as it's become. And, and he didn't take that as far as he did some of the other biographies, but it really was a nice moment because we all have images of that, you know, whether we've seen it in highlight reels or whether we lived through it, of that Super Bowl and how brash Joe Namath was. And then what he became afterwards with the Playgirl centerfolds and the movies he did and what happened to Johnny Unitas afterwards and, you know, and the roads they both took to get to that game kind of, I thought, was a nice vignette as well. So it's, it was, I found it to be a book worth reading for all those, all those reasons. I did as well. You know, I'm a fan of biography. I read almost uh, exclusively biography. And, uh, but I, I haven't for a long time read a book like this with the, that consisted of many biographies. Um, and uh, so those were, I, I think, fascinating. He did them in such a way that in a very short uh, span of pages, um, he allowed you to really know um, these individuals. His description of Augustine um, and his relationship with, with his mother uh, is, is a great example of capturing the, somebody's life in, in, a, in a small space. Um, you mentioned, Joe, the the reference to uh, you know the World War II generation and, and what what he was talking about in the f I think it was in the first Very chapter yeah. um, was was fascinating and and all he was really doing was uh, I think recounting a um, an NPR a segment dr a driveway moment a driveway mm -hmm. moment basically mm -hmm. yeah and but what a story that was because. Nobody ever would have picked it up as uh, as anything historically significant, but he, it was a drive, driveway moment that happened to be on the last day uh, of the the war, uh, and I guess it was um, was uh, VJ Day, right? Um, and and how there was such utter humility in the voices of celebrities, you know, nobody over the top, nobody gloating. And everybody talking about, thank God, it's it's over. Um, such a distinction between that and you know the sort of uh, talking heads uh, environment in which he plies his trade. Mm -hmm. I just thought that the whole his whole um, setup in the opening chapter two of the Adam one versus Adam two, 
Adam one is more of um, you know the, like he says the resume virtues mm -hmm. and the um, you know pride and an economic attitude where input equals output and then Adam two are the eulogy virtues the 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 softer side of things the love the relationships um, generosity. I thought that that distinction and having that frame um, that he could return to through the whole novel or th through the whole book was really effective. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit of a tricky, his, his ta the task that he set before himself uh, was a complex one. And I think that having, having that frame was really helpful. Um, I think, like Joe said, I think I personally there were some parts of it to me that um, hung together better than others. Some biographies worked for his purposes better, but um, I agree, Paul. I just I loved the dipping into those biographies for short periods of time. I can't think of too many other books like that, contemporary books that I've read like that. It reminded me, you know, at many points of a devotional book. You know, but it's like the a lives of the saints. Or yeah, something. right. Exactly. Lives of the yeah. saints. Yeah, it's yeah. like a, a like kind of a semi-secular mm -hmm. devotional, and I I think it and also sort of <laughs> I don't mean to be too irreverent, but it's kind of like a sampler platter of biographies too. Like you could, if you, um, you know, are really compelled by one of these figures, you can go and find more information about that person who really spoke to you. So. Mm -hmm. um, I just was really surprised um, at the story of George Marshall, for example. That's not somebody that I would have thought that I would be interested in reading a full-length biography about, but um, I found that chapter just so compelling, and um, the idea um, the idea that inner or that outer behavior and outer order um, affects an inner sense of structure and affected his, his you know the attitude that George Marshall took through his life and, and allowed him to be you know, humble and, and great um, throughout the, you know, the trials of his military career. I just, I thought that was such a compelling chapter. That was probably my favorite. Um, yeah, and, and how he, he was, excuse me, the, no. the architect. It's amazing. History remembers him as the architect of World War II, but Brooks gives you that moment mm -hmm. when he's turned down for um, the D-Day invasion, invasion right. in which he's crushed. Um, and and it and it, it it's it's as if we we remember him one way, uh, and and yet inside he wanted to do something different, and thank God he didn't get the opportunity. Well, and just the glimpse that we're given to into his childhood and how his family considered him kind of unpromising. Right. Right. Yeah. Didn't he? Isn't he the one that had the older brother who yeah. you know um, was. He was Right, right. Who was down on down on George Marshall? He was kind of um, lost. He was. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Kind of the uh, run of the litter. Of the right, right, yeah. right. I just I, I thought that was so compelling. How about you, Tim? Did you have a favorite a favorite part? I I found uh, <laughs> like Joe. I I um, I found myself being um, captivated by people that I really didn't know very much about that he incorporated in. Dorothy Day, uh, you know, having um, gone through, uh, you know, Catholic school, I had heard her name bandied about. Sure. But um, she, she really needs, a, you know, a new PR person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because she's, I mean... Not for her early did, life, though. Her early life her was early a life. wreck. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, but, but what her, her, the way she threw herself into almost like a Mother Teresa in, into helping 
uh, the poor and the unfortunate in the middle of the Depression is really a compelling story, and, mm -hmm. and even more compelling when you have the contrast, to your point, where yeah. she was uh, 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 tripping uh, the light fantastic <laughs> early, uh, early on. Um, but, you know, there's there somebody there that I had, you know, had heard her name bandied about, but had, you know, certainly didn't know anything about her. And, and, and the other thing I thought were things that, you know, the Eisenhower, you know, having a uh, tremendous temper uh, situation. So, so these were lives of, of, of people who were pretty saintly. You know, they, they, they weren't really uh, uh, traditional saints. That they had qualities of it, but they also had uh, shortcomings, as, as any of us do. And I thought that he did a nice job of kind of laying it all out mm -hmm. uh, and didn't try to, uh, you know, canonize people that, 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 that uh, you know, at, at one point, uh, you know, he mentions uh, Eisenhower uh, splitting up with his, uh, um, uh, the woman he was having a tryst with, his, his driver. And, uh, you know, uh, but, but yet that didn't preclude him from being in the, uh, being um, uh, in the book in terms of uh, trying to control his temper and, and uh, putting on uh, a, a very positive uh, presentation to people, um, uh, which was really critical to where he was in, in, uh, in, uh, in the war effort from, from that standpoint and later on as president. So, um, so I, 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 like you, Abby, I thought there were some that were better than others. Uh, I had never heard of A. Philip Randolph. Mm -hmm. I had never, you know, I consider myself, uh, you know, a, you know, fairly well read on, on the civil rights movement. But, you know, that, that was a, a name that had, had uh, that I, com that had completely slipped. Uh, um, so, so those were, those were some interesting Insights. I think I, I also thought the last chapter really brought the whole book together. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, I just thought he really did a marvelous job when he kind of pulled pulled together the, you know, the list of uh, of attributes that we should mm -hmm. all be um, focusing on uh, in, in terms of developing our Adam too. The, the humility code. The humility and code. And I liked that he in that first chapter kind of gave you the signal if you can't read the whole book feel free to skip to the last chapter and look right. at the humility code. And I've told several people too in recommending this book, it, it is one where you can read the first chapter, read the, read the last chapter and then dip in and out of it, um, I think. I think it, you know, no, I think that's right. I think you miss something if you don't sink into the Augustine chapter to your point, Paul. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, I didn't know much about Francis Perkins. Uh, like, exactly. And after reading that chapter, I felt like, okay, he's dem demonstrated all the virtues now. Yes. Right. He could have ended at Francis yes. Perkins. That was such um, a and again, no spoiler alert for the listeners, I guess, but <laughs> if you, like me, don't know anything about Francis Perkins, you should read this book. Uh, I mean, you come out of even just that chapter with a, yes. an appreciation of an amazing figure in American history who we all should know a lot more about. Exactly. And, and that was enough for me. And then it just kept, more examples kept coming. That chapter made me want to read um, about FDR's cabinet and all the personalities that were engaged. But she was in the cabinet the entire time, right? The, the, only, the, the person. only person. Yeah, the yes. only person who okay. stayed for all four terms, right? Mm -hmm. Right. I thought that was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And um, the only woman. Right. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Speaking of that, the, David Brooks made an interesting observation tying all these folks together. They all had strong mothers. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, he he talked about the the anecdote with uh, Eisenhower. One of the things he didn't mention that I thought was fascinating was Eisenhower's mother was a pacifist. Oh, uh, one of the great generals of all time. Um, 
and by by religion she was a pacifist. Hmm. Interesting, uh, Joe. You mentioned that the, you know the book feels to you like it's maybe not finished, and I and uh, you know Brooks does seem really interested in that um, in that metaphor of a shared journey, a road, and he even has a website that he has set up where people can share their own experiences on the road to character, and he wants it to be an interactive process. And I'm just curious if any of you have like kind of a guess about what he'll, or a, a hope maybe even about what um, Brooks will be working on next. You know, if there'll be another book like this, or um, or even maybe how he's how he'll position himself during this next presidential campaign in his columns. Does anybody have any ideas about that? Well, I think he's still clearly working these ideas out. Mm -hmm. I, I listened to uh, his commentary after the Pope's visit. Uh, you recommended that we listen to it, and I found it back on NPR. And he was still working through these same themes. He used a different metaphor, which I thought was interesting, because in the first half of the program they were talking about Boehner's resignation and the second half about the Pope's visit. And he was talking about American politics is about the horizontal. It's about linking together coalitions that are sufficient to win whatever issue you're trying to win. But the Pope's conversations are all vertical. It's about connecting individual people to God. And you save souls one at a time, not in great big bunches of coalitions. And so he thought it was interesting when the Pope was speaking to Congress, he's speaking to people whose lives are horizontal, and he's talking to them about something vertical. And he's just a smart guy. He comes up with all these images and ways of, I think, describing this this journey he's on, to your point, Abby, and to have him be an analyst to go through with us what could be a presidential election that doesn't have a whole lot of vertical <laughs> in, in it, that has a, it's all about the minimal horizontal coalition that either candidate can put together to win the minimal number of electoral college seats. To, to win. It'll just be interesting to have the, his mind applied to that process we're about to face, won't it? I hope he keeps applying <laughs> it. I wondered, reading this and, and just thinking about him, if he'll want to stay in the game of political analysis mm. or if his interests will shift. Uh, if these two things are compatible over the long term, I mean, he seems so genuinely irritated by a lot of the the nonsense um, in the Congress specifically, but that that um, October column that he wrote in the New York Times has caused a lot of um, you know a lot of fallout, a lot of commentary. Um, his his um, ideas about you know what the Republican Party is doing wrong. And you just wonder, you know, do people have a lifelong appetite for that kind of political hand-to-hand -hand combat, maybe, maybe he will. Maybe these things can coexist, these, these you know, vertical thoughts and, the, and these horizontal. Paul, do you have any yeah, thoughts I, about that? Yeah, I kind of get the impression from him that he's looking for something more meaningful than that. Um, because, you know, when you, when you read something about a, a, a political event, um, it's necessarily limited in time. Uh, it doesn't hold up all that well a year later. Um, but you know, when you you actually are talking about a figure, you're talking about the Pope or uh, these historical figures, there really is something timeless ab about that, and it's it's more of a teaching tool. And I really think he's getting at the teacher within, um, and that may be incompatible with um, continuing to be sort of a a wag about politics. Um, you know, I think there there might be some burnout uh, that we're witnessing. Well, and one of the things that I liked best about this book um, was that he's really open, that he is kind of 
mid-career, mid-life, and he's thinking about how he wants to spend the next stages of his life. And I, you know, I just think that that is, is very inviting to the reader, even though he's a very famous person. We can all empathize with that. And, um, and you know, I, just, I felt like he really made himself vulnerable uh, yeah. through the process of writing this book. Yeah, he's finished Adam 1. I mean, he's, he's done. I mean, yeah. in, in that... He's already established himself as one of the, you know, the preeminent, I mean, that, you know, is, is described as the most, you know, the most expensive real estate, you know, the op-ed page of the New York Times mm -hmm. in America. So, you know, his Tuesday and Friday columns are, are, uh, are um, r really spectacular. I, uh, I think he is, to your point, now working on his Adam too. You know, what, what, what do I need to do to be a better person? And what I liked about it was that he, he drew on everybody. In other words, it, he didn't take a particular um, set of principles uh, as, as they apply to a particular church or mm -hmm. uh, school of thought. He, he was open to, you know, Judaism, to, to, to uh, Muslims, to Catholicism, to, you know, to... Um, uh, people who were uh, agnostic, uh, he, he dr drawing on kind of what, what are those attributes that I want to have and, and I assume pass on to his children mm -hmm. that, uh, that really would, uh, th that really kind of uh, takes him to the next level. There's nothing else that he needs to do at this point in time in, in terms of Adam 1. He's, you know, we wouldn't have had him here if he wasn't already in Adam 1. Uh, it, the question is now, how do I get myself to the next level? You know, what, mm -hmm. is, what are those moral issues that I need to grapple with? And, and I find it most interesting that pride is the central vice, according to him. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, for me, it's gluttony. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so many books, so little time, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> I'm sure that's what you meant. <laughs> Please don't go around and ask us each our vice. Okay? <laughs> I didn't sign up for that and saying yes to this podcast. <laughs> okay, we're going to wrap up with a quick round of book recommendations from the group today. What are you reading now, or what would you recommend to our listeners? Paul, will you kick us off? Uh, you know, I'm not actually reading any one book, but I, I have a, a, a historical figure that I would encourage everybody to, to uh, get back into. I think he's uh, been underserved by biographers, so I'm actually thumbing through a few right now on Thomas Paine, hmm. um, the uh, spark that lit the American Revolution and the French Revolution and a lot mm. of other revolutions. Have you found one book that you really... I have three. I'm, okay. I'm trying to settle on one, and some, I'm sort of hopping between them. But he's a fascinating figure. You know, died uh, in prison having uh, disavowed the, uh, the uh, early leadership of, the, uh, of our republic, uh, you know, Washington, Jefferson. Felt they all had betrayed both him and uh, his... Uh, and the American cause. Um, so, fascinating figure, a real citizen of the world. Hmm. Joe, what are you reading? Well, I, I feel compelled to recommend everybody read The Circle and come to the book discussion next <laughs> month that I'll be leading on that Dave Eggers book here at the Mercantile Library. Um, that's his 2014 dystopian novel about uh, the world. Um, it's interesting to think about that in, in juxtaposition to David Brooks' discussion of what the world ought to be. Um, 
this is a world where nothing is private um, and everything is public and uh, this woman gets caught up in this company called The Circle. So um, it, it's a very interesting book. Dave Eggers is a terrific author, one of my favorite authors, so I'm enjoying that. Um, I also checked out of the library here uh, a great book a couple months ago and read called The Impeachment of Abraham Lincoln by Yale Law Professor Stephen Carter. And it's uh, fiction. It's one of these what-if kind mm -hmm. of historical fiction. And in his premise, uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, survives the assassination attempt, but Andrew Johnson doesn't. He's killed, and, and while uh, Lincoln survives that, he doesn't quite survive the radical reconstructionists. And, uh, he, and it's just it's a fascinating book. There's a murder mystery in the middle of it. You meet some of these very colorful characters of that time. And Stephen Carter is a really interesting author. So those would be two that I'd recommend. And one last little plug for my son, my 10-year-old. We are reading this terrific series of books, Star Wars as Shakespeare. Um, and it's uh, Verily a New Hope, The Empire Doth Striketh Back, and all that. So it's the three <laughs> original, uh, and everybody knows what I mean by the original three Star Wars stories, the ones that came out first, all told as Shakespearean plays. <laughs> and they're fascinating. They're very well written. They're written by a funny, funny man named Ian Dosher, if I'm saying that right. And, and spoiler alert, R2-D2 is the brains behind everything, and he keeps looking like Shakespearean plays. He looks to the audience and tells everybody what's going on and why <laughs> and then he looks back and does his beep 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 stuff but R2 is like the brains behind the whole thing it's just they're great great books to read to your middle-aged uh, or middle school aged kids oh, fun. <laughs> Tim? so uh, right now I'm in the middle of uh, all the light we cannot see so um, we had the discussion today in the library on that and I'm about three-quarters of the way through there uh, I um, uh, I thoroughly, uh, for Father's Day, gave to uh, my three grown sons, the Wright Brothers by McCulloch, and got, believe it or not, three copies of the Wright Brothers. No. From the three boys. So uh, the Plunkets, wow, you Plunkets are known. purchased six, six copies of, wow. a, of one book. <laughs> <laughs> so if, you, if anyone would like to read the Wright Brothers, please contact me. I've got extra copies. You could host a book club. Exactly. No, I, I could indeed. I um, uh, Earlier this year, I read, uh, uh, based on the recommendations from Ann Patchett, last year's Nihav, um uh, speaker, uh, the story of the Chilean miners called uh, uh, Deep uh, Down and Dark, uh, which is a really compelling book mm -hmm. of, of what those gentlemen went through. Uh, a book that I am, I, I generally would not uh, move into this particular genre, um, an, ap an apocalyptic novel uh, called uh, Station Eleven mm -hmm. uh, by Emily St. John Mandel, which was just fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, and then um, last night before I went to bed, I um, stayed up too late reading the food issue of The New Yorker, which has just some wonderful stories about uh, McDonald's and barbecue in North Carolina and a, a wonderful cover. It's the November 2nd cover of The New Yorker with a shot of a gentleman sitting in the middle of a kitchen and uh, on the perimeter is every um, item that you could possibly have, stand-up mixers and food processors <laughs> and Henkel knives and all the all-clad uh, pots hanging. And 
he's sitting there with the takeout bag in the trash can eating his dinner. And it is just, it takes you a minute to kind of just take in the, the what are they saying in this cover and all of a sudden it hits you. So, uh, so if you enjoy food, I mentioned gluttony earlier, uh, I, uh, I uh, would encourage picking that up uh, on your newsstand. How about you, Abby? Well, I am midway through Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff, and it is so fantastic. It is making me neglect my sleep needs and my household duties. It is so good. The first half of the book is told from the husband's perspective, and the second half is told from the wife's. And it's not first person, but you're seeing, you're seeing events as they unfold for him. And then uh, midway through, the story gets flipped. And it is just, it's just fantastic. I love it. Um, my husband is reading the Little House series to our children. I've been listening in on that. And it's made me, it's brought me back to my own childhood, listening to those stories and reading them on my own. And so next, I'm going to pick up um, a book called Pioneer Girl, which is Laura Ingalls Wilder's um, autobiography that was tucked away for years and not published and now it's been it was published late last year in an annotated form that places the whole Little House series in historical context of what was going on with the pioneer settlement and the Native Americans and and um, it also contains a lot of stories that show kind of the harsher side of her childhood you know there was just a lot um, a, a lot of harsh reality to that frontier life that that uh, you know didn't really make it into the children's series. So that's what, that's what I'll be reading next. Uh, I, Station Eleven's on my list, too. Tim it's really worthwhile. Yeah. Really worthwhile reading. Okay. It really is. Good. Well, thank you for joining us today on The Twelfth Story. We encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud. And if you like listening, tell your friends or tweet to us at at Mercantile Live. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Special thanks to our guests, Joe Hyde, Paul DeMarco, Tim Plunkett, and me, Abby Moran. The Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Don't forget to visit us online at mercantilelibrary.com, where you can learn about our library and our upcoming events. Have a great week.